Right. All right. So in talking about doing things God's way, um, I, I had a great sermon lined up for you on a Friday. Oh, it was fantastic. I spent hours planning it, sorting it out. I even had, I was having vid- had videos for you. I had, I, had, I had pictures ready for you. And then Saturday afternoon, God went, nah, scrap it, you're changing, we're doing, we're doing something different. So last night was a late one. <laughs> because God wants to say what God wants to say. And who am I to stop him? And I love it. I actually said to God this morning, God, thank you for doing this because I've got to be willing to move when God says move. We cannot always plan ahead for everything that's going to happen. And so the walk we have in many ways will be defined by our ability to be ready to move at any point and our ability to shift in however God wants, and to be willing to say in that moment, am I going to complain to God, or am I going to embrace God in that moment? And so this morning I'll try and embrace him. No, I have embraced him. So let's go, let's go on this journey together. So you'll be glad to know you only have to go to one book of the Bible this morning. Everything you need for life and godliness in this sermon will be found in the book of 2 Corinthians. So, <clears throat> so we've been talking about, well, Pastor Tony's been talking a lot about crisis and st- storms and all these different kinds of things. And one of the things that I've realized, we all know that the Apostle Paul, obviously the most prolific writer in the, in the, in the New Testament. And it's amazing how you can you know, you can read the different books of the Bible, that he's, the different letters that he wrote, and almost assume they were almost wrote from the same place, almost at the similar, you know, it's almost like what I read in Philippians is, is the same Paul that I read in Romans, is the same Paul that I read about in Acts, is the same Paul that I wrote about in Colossians. But you realise when you look at the timeline of Paul's life, is that these books were wrote years apart. And so we, we realize that just in the way that we are all making a journey. So if I, if I had a conversation with myself, if I wrote something, that you can easily write something that I wrote. For example, someone can write something at GCSE at 16, and then they can write something doing a degree at 21. And you could say, well, they sound similar, but there's a huge journey that's gone from one to the other. And Paul, we almost kind of go, well, Paul's just Paul. Paul was always awesome, and Paul was always Paul, and, that, and that's the way it is. But Paul, just like you and I, had to go through a process and had to go through trials and crises and different things. And when we look in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, when, we, when we've read recently about, uh, last week, for, for those of you who, well, whether you were or weren't here, we read about the Paul shipwreck. In, in Acts 27, 28, 27. And when we look at the two Corinthians, there's a lot of similarities to some of the things that Paul talks about. And some of, he talks about some of his sufferings, and we're going to talk about this today. But what we've got to realize is that what happened, that shipwreck that happened in Acts was three years 
after this book was written. So when we talk about, I, I always thought the shipwrecks that Paul talks about in, in, in 2 Corinthians is the same shipwreck that we hear about in, 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 in Acts 27. It's just a more detailed version, very similar to almost how you get in the Gospels, where it's the same account, just a different, sums in more detail. But it isn't. They were three years apart. We look at the book of Romans. The book of Romans was written a few months after the book of 2 Corinthians. But Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians were wrote four years or so after this book was written. So we realize there's a lot, when we, when we read about things here, we have to see where Paul was then. Not just go, well, he's exactly the same as he was in Ephesians. Because there's so many different things that have taken place that have created his ability to speak in the way he spoke. Does that make sense? So hopefully, that, that was just something that, for me, really stood out. And this is one of the things that I think God is, is showing. So let's, let's go straight in to Corinthians 1. Starting from verse 3 to 6. So it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Amen. So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort. If we are, oh, sorry, sorry, blah, blah, blah. it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is also for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. You see, the enemy often desires to use troubles suffering, storms, you, know, you can put whatever name you want to put on it. We've, we've used different, I won't be using the boat analogy today, but you know, whether it's in choppy waters or rocky ground or whichever way you want to look at it, troubles, troubles, trouble. Crisis is crisis, storms are storms. We all, we all understand that. Do we all understand that, yeah? Okay. So if I try it slightly, and sufferings come out of those things. So the enemy often desires to use troubles, sufferings, to kill, steal, and destroy the work of Christ in our lives. But he also uses, tries to use those times to breed division within the body of Christ. See, I think we all can, can, can um, acknowledge that when things aren't going right, it's when we get a bit snappy. It's when the flesh starts to come more to the front. People start to grate on you. My love and my mercy for you has an end. And we begin to see the different side of people, should we say, the less holy side. Are we all right with that? Can we, can we, are we, we yeah? And <laughs> this is where arguments can break out and the flesh comes in. And it's when the enemy gets a foothold in the camp. Because when division begins to come, you're already in a storm. You're already in trouble. So the only the one thing you don't want to compound is that then there becomes a division within the people we're supposed to be sharing our sufferings with. Amen? But this is the enemy's scheme. It's an obvious one, but it's amazing how many times we let him get away with it. And... But here we see that, what, that whether Paul is being comforted 
or whether Paul is in distress, that all of it is for their benefit. There's a, there's a significant nature change here that if Paul's... Now, if we're all being comforted and God's done something great, then it's easy to share that testimony, amen? It's easy to share that testimony and say, look at what God did, isn't it awesome, aren't you blessed? Because now you can see an example of God coming through, right? But then he says, but even if I'm distressed, I use my distress to also bring you comfort. I use my distress to bring you comfort. Not so that it blesses you, because I'll tell you now, I don't, I don't feel blessed when I see my fellow brother or sister suffer. I don't, I'm not blessed to see you suffer, you'll be glad to know. And I've asked Pastor Tony, and he's pretty much, most of the time he's the same. Phil, I, I wouldn't want to comment on, but you know, <laughs> but no. Um, but it produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. So the comfort comes from that as, you, as I see you endure, it gives me hope that I can endure. And yet, so therefore, rather, there, there is this example that is set, and then there is this mindset that sharing the same sufferings brings a different kind of unity and the ability to persevere. Because when sufferings, the one thing that we, we often find with churches and with people is that many of the things that we go through, we go through alone. We don't necessarily talk about, we don't necessarily share them. They are my troubles or they're my sufferings. But, I, but it's what Paul says next that really began to strike me. And so in 1 Corinthians um, verses 8 to 9, it says, We do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, in this part, in, in 2 Corinthians, the Bible doesn't tell us what happened in Asia. We don't know exactly what happened. We know lots of bad things happened, and we know that in this period of Paul's ministry, he suffered some of the worst trials and problems that he had that he'd ever faced. And that's why in the book of Romans, which was written close to this book, he talks about we face death every day like lambs to the slaughter. It's coming from the same period of time. And Paul, when you look and you see the emotion that he went through, and you see the, what he went through, you recognise that what he says here, sorry, this thing, what he says here takes on extra significance and power. He says, we were, he says, so we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. That is not about going, I want to tell my stories. I want to let you know how much of a martyr I am. All feel sorry for me. This is not a, I, want, I don't want you to be uninformed because I like telling about my, 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 my stuff. This is because Paul wants to use these things as an under, to, un, to bring 
us into a level of revelation. He says next, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. That is rough. That is rough. Now, I know each one of us at times have been through points of, I don't know whether you've despaired at life, but many do. Many do. That's why we have problems with suicide rates. That's why we have problems all across this nation. That There are people who go through these trials and troubles. And it says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. That's a low place again. When you feel that everything around you is just saying, you're going to die. You're going to die. He says, but he says this, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. See, when we refuse to talk about and share the troubles we experience, we prevent God from using them as a vehicle to comfort and strengthen others. There is always, and I put it in capital letters, there is always a greater work in any suffering or trouble that we go through. It doesn't always feel like it at the time. But when I take heart from people like Paul, and there's, and there's, this, there's this phrase that he used, which is one of those phrases that I've read this scripture before, I'm sure you have as well, and you just read it as a sentence and you don't, And I missed the significance. He says, But this happened that. But this happened that. And but this happened comes after a period of reflection. Because you're creating a conclusion to what you've just experienced or what you've just said. It came from a place where he had allowed the Holy Ghost to reveal the truth and to allow his to see the comfort and be comforted and those comforts and those truths allowed him to create these conclusions because there are many different reasons as pastor tony's talked about we can talk about crises and storms and all these different things and we've talked about there are different types and there are different ways that they are formed and there's all these different kinds of things but they are formed And we must understand why. And we must understand what the greater work is in those crises. But it's not, but what what, here's Paul is, is, this is not Paul saying, well, you know, everything's unky dory now, so I can see clearly. Paul, in the midst of his stress, where this is raw, this is fresh, this is now, found a place in God where he was able to say, but this happened that. He was able to come to a place in the spirit where he was able to reconcile what was going on and understand it from a heavenly perspective rather than from how he felt and how he saw the world as he saw it and what was happening to him. It is incredibly powerful, but this happened that. And what does he say next? That we might rely on God... Who raises the dead. Now he could have said a couple of different things, but he specifically said, but that we might rely on God who raises the dead. 
And when he says who raised the dead, I'm like, why does he say who raised the dead? Was it just a random kind of, you know, I could have said a hundred things, you know, that, that, that we might rely on God who is my saviour, that we might rely on God who is my strength, that we might rely on God, you know, you can put a lot of other things after that, but he specifically said who raises the dead. And one of the things when you read a little later, I think it's in uh, 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about some of the stuff he went through. And one of them, and we see it in the book of Acts, another occasion, he was stoned to death, but didn't die. In fact, he was stoned to the point where they thought he was dead, and they carried him out of the city, and then he wasn't dead, and he got back up and went back into the city. You don't do that unless you have come to a place where you understand, but this happened that. But this happened that. And in our storms, we must, we must become always aware and we must find a place in Christ, which is one of the things that we're talking about this morning, that we can say, but this happened that. Because the longer you can't say, but this happened that, you stay in the place of crisis. You stay in the place of the storm. Because even though the storm may have passed, it's still inside you. You haven't been able to reconcile the storm. You haven't been able to reconcile why you went through it or how any good can possibly come of it. But Paul says that he should already have been dead, but he wasn't. Now, we don't, the Bible doesn't say exactly what it was, but you know what? When I, if someone throws a stone in my face and then throws another stone in my face and then throws stones at my body, and they're not doing it to just be a bit mean, they're doing it to, with the intention of killing me, there's going to be a lot of broken bones and a lot of disformed parts of your body. So that, for me, when Paul says he got up and he went back into the city, you've got to know God did something supernatural. God did something supernatural. And if you follow me further, a little bit further down, I'm going to pause there. There's a bit after, but I'm not going to read that bit till the end. But if you skip down to verse 19. He says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. So their preaching was not, yeah, no. Yeah, but no. It was not follow God, but mm. it was we preached it among you, but in him it was always yes. There was only one yes. There was only one mindset and one spirit when they went about what they did. For now, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. We like that scripture. And, and so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes us both who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts 
as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. What a great scripture. First point I want to make is by us. The journey and therefore the trouble Paul encountered was not his own. Was not just his own. But he shared these things with his fellow brothers in Christ. For we, for the Son of God, was preached among you by us, by me, by Silas, and by Timothy. And with each one it was a yes, not a yes and a no, but a yes. God is looking for a body of people, for a company of people, who when they preach Christ, we preach him together and we preach him with the yes. We cannot be people who preach yes and no. We cannot claim Christ and be yes and be no. And the reason why is this next point. When you do not walk in purpose, when you do not walk in purpose, then a crisis or trouble will always destabilize you. When you do not walk in purpose, then a crisis or trouble will always destabilize you because the reason you are suffering will not be underpinned by a yes in Christ. I really want to understand, when you understand that, Paul is, we know that life throws eggs at you. Sometimes stones. Sometimes storms. Whatever you want to call it, life throws things and it's an inescapable part of life. But there is crises and, th- and, and, and the things that and troubles that are purely because we're just walking and living. And there are crises and troubles that come because we are preaching Christ. There is a nature of what kind of crisis that comes to us. And, and, and Paul and, and the crisis that is here is precisely because they preach Christ, yes. And yes. Because when you preach Christ as yes, and you refuse to say yes and no, then you make war with the enemy. You make war with the enemy of your soul because you have decided that there is a yes. And it's not just my yes, it's our yes. But first of all, it must be your yes. You must have the yes. Because it says... And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. The amen must be spoken by you. When we set out on any in life, we must, the amen has to be spoken by us. In every crisis, there must be an amen to go through a crisis and understand the nature of that crisis. And, I, and, I, and there's, there's three examples that I've got from my own life and my own family that I really want to hopefully give you a little bit of an understanding. You all know my son Joshua was in hospital, right? So was that something we expected? No. Was that something we wanted? No. Was that something that seemed fair? No. But did I understand it? Yes. Because. Because I said yes. And because I gave, we gave God the opportunity that says, but this happened that. Because I found that this happened that. Why did it happen? Because Joshua was a promise of God to us. So the promise was being attacked. And because we are standing on the promise, the enemy is trying to bring our yes to a no. 
So I didn't go through, Joshua didn't suffer because of anything I did. But he did suffer because of what I did. We suffered because of what, because I stood for Christ. But the blessing and comfort I had is he's suffering because I said yes to Christ. I'm not suffering just because life's rubbish sometimes. I'm suffering because I made a point to bring glory to God in every part of my life. I said, this, we will hold on for 10 years for this child. And though the distress and the death, the threat of death was real, and though the trouble was overwhelming and it felt more than I could bear, I was able to find my, but this happened because, but this happened that. I might rely on God, that I might know that the promises of God are yes and amen. amen. And there is nothing that can take that yes and amen away. Amen. As long as I believe that when God says yes, it means yes. And as long as when I say amen, I stick with my amen. amen. And I didn't go through it on my own. I went through it with my family. I went through it with you. I went through it with my wife. And I find comfort. And I can talk about this without getting all upset and being in a place where, I'm not going to lie, it isn't easy to just move on from. But I found a place in my storm, whether it was through my Facebook post or whatever it was, where there was a place where I found the comfort of Christ because I knew that I was walking in purpose. And that the situation came about because of my purpose but because of that I also had the word of God that came to me in that moment to bring me through to the other side of that place then I look at my marriage now my marriage started because I was an idiot my marriage went bad because I was an idiot and those who've been around long enough will probably know more about that than others but my marriage almost fell apart because I was an idiot I brought the crisis into my own home Okay, But the moment I said, Jesus, take my marriage. Because it says in the scripture here that now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm. The, 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 the rebuilding process of my marriage was incredibly painful and incredibly difficult. And why was it difficult? Because, I'd, because M and I had made a decision that says our marriage will be used to the glory of God. Because we say our amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Suffering came into my marriage in a different form precisely because we'd made a decision to undo all that the enemy tried, had put in and to put all of what God wanted inside my marriage. So everything the enemy had put in, we took out and everything that God wanted, we put in. That process was painful and caused his suffering because I said yes to Christ. But I'm able to find the strength to be to stand firm because I understand. Because I had... But this happened that. Which is why all the more, our marriage, every opportunity for us, I, I, don't, I don't talk about that I have this amazing marriage. I don't talk about that I have an amazing marriage. Because my marriage is only as good as I allow God, as much as I allow God in it. It's only, it's, only, it's only a good marriage if God is in it. But every opportunity we have to bring glory to God through our marriage, we take. 
Are we just making sense? My mum, she's not here this morning, don't know where, oh, she's in, she's in the kids' church. Oh, well, either way, she's, she's not in this room. Many of you know my mum had cancer. Did she suffer? Yeah. Were there life-changing things that happened to her? Yeah. But did she just go through cancer because life's not fair? No. For those you might not know, there is a curse on my family that every woman on, 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 in my mum's side of the family never lived beyond 60. So God chose this way, this storm, this temporary trouble, in order to break the curse. Because my mum is now lovely in 62, 63, and my sister, and the, and the generations now will be able to come and have, there will be generations of children that will now come to glorify God because God broke the curse. But God in his wisdom used that. But my mum knew before that happened that something was coming. Because God prepared us for that. Because she wanted to walk in purpose. So she was able to stand firm in the midst of, when it says, and we felt we received the sentence of death. That's exactly how she could have felt. Because when you hear the big C word, we know that men, that's exactly what happens. I was only seeing a lady in work this week and she wanted to change her name. She got married a few weeks ago. And then she just broke down in tears. The reason why she got married is because she found out a few weeks ago her husband had cancer and he's already in a hospice and they don't think he's going to survive. Within weeks, your life was cut, his life was cut short. And she had no hope. But we have hope. But so many times our... The amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Church, when we, as we begin to move forward, I want, I want you to understand that when God, when we set ourselves apart for God in this new season that we're in now, is suffering is going to come. But the nature of that suffering must be something we must understand. Because when we don't understand the nature of our suffering, and we don't understand the nature of a crisis, we miss God in everything. And then our amen becomes weakened. So our amen goes from being yes to, I'm not so sure, because I can't handle this. But when we find our because, when we find our this happened that, when we are able to allow God to find our this happened that, we are able to be comforted by his spirit, we are able to be strengthened in our body, and we are able to share that which we go through because we begin to see what it is breathing in others and what it will breathe in others. I have every confidence that no marriage is beyond repair. Because I've seen it in my own life. Did I suffer? Heck yeah. Heck yeah, I suffered. But God allowed me to understand that you make that decision. You bring me back into this and see what I do. But we have to remember, that crisis started because of me. There are some crises that, that you are in right now that were started because of you. You caused it. By your actions and by your inaction and by the way we refuse to allow God in. But what I want to give you hope with this morning is that it's not too late to change it. Amen. That our crises and our troubles are able to be flipped. But we have to allow God to, to come and bring the, the amen into our spirit to hold us firm and therefore bring purpose to our suffering. We must always, God does not want you to suffer without purpose. He wants you to suffer with purpose. 
Because in the purpose, there is comfort. It sounds awful, doesn't it? Going, you're going to suffer anyway. You might as well find a good reason for it to happen. But this is what Paul did. But Paul didn't do it alone. And I want us to start to understand that our troubles don't have to be alone. They don't have to be ours on our own. In fact, when we bring our troubles into the body of Christ, when, I'm not saying start telling everyone your secrets. I'm not going to say start telling everyone your business. But you understand that where there are things that we suffer, when we can suffer alone or we can share it with the body of Christ, it's the reason we have a body. And it says this in the next part, but we have, in verse 7 to 12, but we have this treasure. But we have this, oh sorry, no, I'll, I'll say that before, before I do that. One last point, I'm getting, I'm getting giddy now. It says at the very end of that, that previous scripture, he says, Now it is God who makes us both stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Paul saw himself, and we must see ourselves, with the seal of God upon our lives. Because that, that our lives are no longer our own. Because we have this thing in church where we still think our lives are our own even though we belong to Christ. When we belong to Christ, but we don't give him our life because our lives are our own, then there will always be conflict and there will always be storms that are a result of the conflict. Because we don't let God in and we don't let God take control of everything that we do. And so we know we run. Paul ran knowing the enemy could not take away what God had promised him. Because what God had promised is, is a temporary struggle on the earth for an eternal glory. And if you have, we are, when we, when we, as we begin to make inroads into whatever it is that we're going to do outside of this building, if we do not lose, if we do not lose sight of that, and we understand that I am not my own, but I am his. Not only do I therefore embrace whatever that means to come, but I also have confidence that I will not lose that which I have. Because what I have is found in him, and what I have belongs to him anyway. But in the next part, in verse uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. I'll let you find that for a sec. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God and not, is, uh, is, is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side. You'll know the scripture, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. You see, right here, we see the difference between the flesh and the spirit. One is what the flesh is experiencing, but two is the condition of the spirit. So, we are hard-pressed from every side. By embracing, by embracing the will of God in your life doesn't mean you will not feel hard-pressed on every side. But what it does mean is that you will not be crushed. 
that your spirit is not crushed, your heart is not crushed, your mind is not crushed because it is elevated above what we are suffering and what we are feeling. We might be perplexed. Let me tell you right now, many of the things that we have, I have gone through, I have been perplexed. God, what are you doing? Has anyone else feel like that? Anyone else gone, God, I am perplexed. I don't get this. This doesn't feel nice and doesn't make sense to me. But my spirit is not in despair. When our spirit is in despair, we lose all perspective. And we have no hope. We are amen, turns to a yes, turns to a no, and we go in a cycle of decline. But we can be persecuted. Now, I, now, persecution, we know, takes different forms. I'd like to think that as we go, we live in a society where persecution doesn't mean someone's taken a stick to your back or a whip to your back or they're going to lock you in jail. I'd like to think that doesn't happen. In other parts of the world, it does. If you go to Afghanistan right now, I wouldn't want to be a Christian in Afghanistan right now. Because that yes and amen will probably give you biblical level persecution. You know, I think it was in Iran, there used to be 1.5 million Christians, there's now only 250,000 because the rest have either been killed or had to flee the country because of persecution. So I call myself blessed living in England. But persecution comes in many different forms and it will come in many different forms. Being a Christian in today's society is not popular. It's not popular because the eyes have been veiled by the thoughts of man and the ways of man and the spirit of deception. So we have to stand. So whenever we say yes to this life, there is an element of persecution that will come, but we are never abandoned. It doesn't matter whether you feel shipwrecked, whether you feel you're on your own. You might be the only one, but you are not abandoned. Your spirit must know that, not your flesh. If you focus on how your flesh feels, you'll immediately feel abandoned. You'll call so God, where are you? Where are you? But your spirit must know the truth. We are struck down, but we are never destroyed. Because that which is the incorruptible seed cannot be destroyed. So we see the flesh and the spirit right there in one. But in the next part, it says we, are, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always going to be given over to death for Jesus' sake. So that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. It is through that suffering, through that time of oppression or persecution or being struck down or being feeling like that. But then remain and allowing your body to go through those things because of Christ, for the glory of Christ, and still saying amen, that is when the life of Christ is revealed through our mortal bodies. But the power and so many of the, of the most dramatic things that we see in the Bible came about because somebody was willing to suffer for Jesus. And in that suffering, in that refusal to, to, to not change their yes to a no, in that refusal to not go through it alone, 
and to, and to come into the body and say, we will, go to, we will go together and we will not back down. That is when the power of God is able to be most seen. And that is what, church, I hate to say it, but it is what we are going to have to face if we want to see the glory of God revealed in this place. If we want to see transformation take place in the streets and in the city that we live. It is the way that God has told us. Now, I know Pastor Tony gave you those lovely fridge magnets about, it, you know, you're going to suffer for Christ and all that. And this, is, this, this might sound like a really depressing thing, but I want to encourage you. You can suffer. You're going to suffer at some point in your life either way. But don't let it be for no reason. Don't let it be for an ungodly reason. Let, it, let our suffering be the suffering of Christ. Because in that there is comfort. In that there is hope. In that there is glory. Are you getting the sense of this message? Yeah. I think 2 Corinthians 7, 4, 7 says, I have spoken to you with great frankness. No kidding. I have spoken to you with great frankness. And I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. That is, that is a special kind of place to be. That... I am greatly encouraged that in all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. There is joy in trouble. There is joy to be found in every trouble we have. I remember one time, I was, uh, just come to my mind now, I was in the bank. I was working, well, I still am in the bank. But there was a point where things started to go wrong at work. Um, and there was... As a cashier, your job is to balance your till. So when you have your, your counter till, every penny's got to be accounted for. You know, because it's not my money. It's your money. Um, and so whatever goes in, whatever comes out, everything's got to be accounted, made away, all that kind of stuff. You, you, get, you get the point. And all of a sudden, I kept having these enormous differences. I kept having these things. Money would go missing and things would happen and nothing made sense. But I was doing the same thing I was doing anyway. I was doing all the time. And there were so many things that were happening. But at that very time, there were a number of people in the branch that were into the mediums and, the, and the, all that spiritual kind of stuff. And that was flowing around the office. And so I didn't recognize it at the time, in one moment. But there came a point where I'm going, I feel I'm being persecuted. I feel like someone's trying to derail my job. Like, why are all these things going wrong when I'm doing the same thing I've always been doing? And I'm a good cashier, and I always balance. So things always, it doesn't make sense. And I got down on my knees, and I said, God, what is it? And my, and my father came and spoke, and the word came to me. He says, You're trying, the enemy's trying to remove you because of what's already there. But it took that place where, but it, there was a point where I got down on my knees to God, and I started to laugh. And cry at the same time. Because I felt absolutely horrendous because there was thousands of pounds missing out of my till and I didn't know where it was and I didn't know what was going to happen. Am I going to get sacked? Am I going to be investigated? What's going to happen to my life? And I, I didn't, all that stuff was whirling around. And in that moment, I had a choice to make. Will I stand firm in his presence? Will I go to someone else and share that burden with him? And I shared it with my father. And I said, Dad, this is what I'm going through. And my dad spoke straight over it and said, they're trying to get you out. 
and, the, and, I, and he broke, he said, I break it in the name of Jesus. And, in, and that night I was able to pray and I even though everything in me felt so low, I found a place of joy that I said, God, I know you're about to do something great. I know that there is not a, it's not a meaningless way. This is not happening for no reason. And all of a sudden, the money was found. All of a sudden, everything was clear. And all of a sudden, within a few weeks, the people who were spreading the, the stuff around their room, all of a sudden were transferred to different branches. And then, therefore, I stood there going, my yes and amen, I will stand firm in Christ. But I found a joy in the midst of my trouble. Before God had brought a conclusion. It's great to have joy when we've had a conclusion. It's great for that. But we have to find the joy in the, it, before we get to that point. We have to understand. And there is a place in your storm where God can bring an understanding there to see you through the rest of the storm. Amen. He doesn't wait till the end. But, but, but God will only, can only give you that understanding when you allow certain things to happen. And so, and so it says, I have spoken with great frankness with you. I take pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. For when we came to Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us comforted us by the coming of Titus in that moment of my life Titus was my dad in the moment of 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 other of other things there was there were strategic people that God brought into my life in order while I was downcast while I had fears within conflicts on the outside God brought the right individuals to come in who brought the word, who brought the comfort to enable joy to well up inside of me and allow me to continue on. Titus, not only being by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. So there was a strategic man in Titus, but Paul's talking to the church here. So there is a responsibility here, not just on well, I'm going through a trouble, so it's just Sam. As long as I've got Sam, I'm all right. But there's a, there, there, is a, there is a unified responsibility here. There is something that is, is, it involves the body of Christ. It's not just something that you go on and you tell one person about and that'll be okay. But there is something here that he says, and he told us about your longing for me. Your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was even greater. We are going to need the body of Christ in order to accomplish the things of Christ. And we have to become people that are willing to share in the right way our sufferings. But, as Pastor Tony, when we said at the rededication, he talked about the, the need to pray for the dream center, to have the dream center in your heart. Remember, remember we said that? And this is what it means to actively pursue that. That the people in this house, I have an ardent concern for. That I have a longing for. That I have deep sorrow when I see them in trouble. When I see them, we cannot go along in life in our own boat. We cannot be in our own boat 
And as long as my boat's afloat, as long as my boat's okay, then I'm all right. I'll look out for the storms, and maybe if there's a storm, I'll look for a bigger boat, but if the, if, the, if the seas are okay, I'm in my boat. No, I have to be aware of the boats that are traveling with me, because we're all traveling to the same side. God is looking for a body of people, a company of people, that will share together in each other's sufferings. That when I see you in distress... I can be comforted because I see that God has given you the but this happened that. That when each of us find that but this happened that, we comfort one another, we strengthen one another, we create endurance in one another, and we create a yes and a stronger amen in one another. That also you and I now together may stand firm. Even if it's not me that feels I need to stand firm, it might be Pendo over there. I have no. Penno needs help drinking that drink. She, she, she's struggling. She, 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 but I, but I'll, I'll stand in her. I will stand for her even though I'm fine. In the same way that I would believe that Pendo will stand for me when I, when I need it. We must comfort one another. And I've spoken to you with great frankness. There's got to be a frankness in the way that we're honest with one another. There needs to be a transparency that God wants to bring into the house. And like I said, it's not about putting your dirty washing. But it's also about not being afraid to be open and honest about the struggles that we face. But we must also, cannot describe, describe it enough, that the, the, the principle that, guys, don't suffer needlessly. If we're going to suffer, let's suffer for Christ. And if we're going to suffer for Christ, let's suffer for Christ together. Because in that, the glory will be all the greater. But he said, in, that, in back to 2 Corinthians 1, 10, 11, Straight after he talked about the deadly peril that he'd been in, straight after he said he thought his life was over, but God, this happened that I might rely on God. He says, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as your, you help us by your prayers then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Paul's defining experiences from this period in his ministry was seeing God deliver them from deadly perils. These defining experiences gave him hope and a certainty and a confidence that God would do so again as they continue together with a company of believers to operate in the grace given to them to do the works that they have been given to do. There is a power that is yet to hit this house, but there's a power that God is highlighting in this message. I hope, I've, 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 I'm, I've just said to God, God, I don't know how you're going to receive this message. I've just got to say it how I see it. But guys, God has got to speak to you in this morning. I believe that he's saying this for a reason, not to depress you, but to encourage and comfort and strengthen you. But he said to me in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, 10, this I finish. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. And my weaknesses 
I delight in insults. I delight in hardships. I delight in persecutions. And I delight in difficulty. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Come on, let's stand together. Let's stand together here. I believe in the days ahead, we are all going to need our, but this happened that. But this happened that. And I believe there are, re- there are things you've all already been through. But I believe some of you have been through things and you still haven't had that moment yet. And you're still suffering because you haven't yet reconciled the suffering that you've been through. So I'm going to pray this morning that God brings this moment to you, that God brings this truth and revelation to you and that we can therefore take, and for for each of us, as we, I don't know, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And you might go, well, what suffering am I really going to find from going feeding the people around the street? What, what are we really going to, you know, how, how, how am I as a youth leader going to really suffer by inviting a bunch of kids into the church and playing games? You realise we are going into the enemy's territory. In every the moment you step outside those doors, when we are in this place, the, the enemy does not care because we can play church all day long, but we're just playing church. But the moment that the power that is in here begins to start to happen out there, then we'll see a reaction. What that reaction will look like, we don't know. What that reaction will be individual, and it will come, some of it will come like a gentle breeze and then it will hit us. Sometimes it will come like a deluge. Some some will be a slow build-up. Each storm is different. Each storm can be different for each one of us. But God wants us to be prepared. And God wants us to understand the nature of our storm. God, because if we do not understand the nature, then we cannot understand what he's trying to do in that moment. And we cannot bring an end and navigate the storm. There's a, there's a, I won't go into it, but it was part of what I was going to say. When you see a storm... Every storm has an eye. Every hurricane has an eye. Okay? Now, what you understand this, picture this. So, you've got your storm, and your eye is there. The storm could be 500 miles wide, and the, the, the eye can be a couple of miles wide in the middle. But in that place right there, it's calm. It's peaceful. You look up, I can see the sun. I can see the sky. But around the eye, there is a wall. They call it the wall of the, the, the eye wall. But what you have to understand is on the other side of the eye wall is the most vicious part of the storm. And we must find. Now, every time the aviation people, because there are people called hurricane hunters, and they literally take an airplane and they fly into the storm. And they fly through the storm. And the first thing they're looking for is where is the eye? Because when they can find the eye, they can perceive where it's going, what its trajectory, how intense it is, what a wall looks like, how it's about to move. They're able to perceive so much. We have a place in Christ where in every trouble, in every place, there is an eye of every storm. But we sometimes have to fly through the, the difficult bit to find that place in Christ. And once we find that place in Christ, we can navigate through it. Now, in the eye of the storm at the top, 
often the ships at the bottom are still feeling it. And the reason why most ships go, I don't want to be near the eye of the storm, is because they know right next to the eye of the storm is the worst bit. And some, some of you might now be feeling, and there will be points when we will be feeling the first, the worst bit. But there is a place in Christ that we can find that eye. And we can stay within that place. And yes, and it's not, it's our bodies may still feel battered and persecuted and all the rest of it, and what we, what, we, what, we, what we said before. But, but, we might be hard pressed on every side, but my spirit will not be crushed. We might be perplexed, but we, our spirit is never in despair. We might feel persecuted, but in Christ we are not abandoned. And we might feel struck down, but we are never destroyed in him because we found that place. So come on, raise your hands with me. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your purposes. We thank you for the troubles that bring about your glory. We thank you, God, that you, that you are always willing to give us, but this happened that. That we might rely on you more. That, that you are, and why you are wanting to use every tool. But my God, I pray right now for the people of God that you would open up their, our eyes to see the nature of every storm. To see the nature of every trial. To see the nature of every trouble. That Lord, we might not despair in our spirit, but we may have joy in our spirit. And we may understand the glory that you are bringing. That you, we are understand and able to explain the, the, the comfort that you are trying to bring in the body of Christ. Father, I pray right now for those who have suffered storms and have still not had that moment. Those people right now that are still suffering in their hearts because they do not yet understand. Father, I pray right now, open their eyes and let them see, oh God, your eternal purposes. Let them see, oh God, your eternal purposes for what has happened. I pray right now for revelation that peace would come and joy would come and your purpose may begin to abound inside of them and that they realize how, Christ, you are moving in their lives. Oh, right now, come on, begin to say, Lord, Lord, open my eyes. Let me never enter a crisis without understanding. Let, Father, I want to, let me find the eye. Father, I choose to see, to step into the eye of every storm. Lord, I will not allow any storm to make my yes into a no. But Lord, I will stand firm in Christ. We will stand firm together. Oh, Father God. And Father, let the people in this house, let us all be a Titus to someone else. Father, let us become strategic for someone else so that in the midst of every suffering, Father, we can bring joy. We can bring joy to someone else. That, Lord, that every, every trial we do would be for the glory of you, Father. Lord, let this be a house that never suffers without, without, without purpose. Let the sufferings of this house be to glorify Jesus Christ. Father, we embrace the sufferings of Jesus, but, Father, we bind the sufferings of men. Father, right now, come on, just say that, Lord. I embrace the sufferings of Christ, but I bind the sufferings of man. We will not suffer needlessly. We will not allow the enemy to have a foothold in this camp. But my God, we will have a house that suffers for Jesus and is glorified because of Jesus. Oh, right now, in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray, lastly, that, Lord, we become... We become a people who long for one another, who share deep sorrow with one another, who have ardent concerns for one another. 
and create joy and comfort in one another. Father, unify this house in our troubles. That as the enemy tries to break us on whatever side, Lord, it only makes us stronger. The comfort only abounds more gloriously. And that which we are able to do is so much more powerful. Father, we pray and we give thanks to you in your mighty name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right. Okay.